Happy Friday, and congratulations on making it through another week. We are here in Minute 100 of the Airport Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over the greatest disaster movie ever made, the 1970 Universal Pictures movie, Airport. I am one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm host number two, Mark Cerulli of CovertOps.tv. And once again, uh, we are proud to be sharing our 100th episode with actor and voiceover artist extraordinaire, Mr. David DeVries. Hello, everyone. And hi, guys. Ah, that voice, that voice. Ah, you can feel that in your back pocket. Just really. Yep. I want to I listen to a book now. So. <laughs> Good. I've got plenty. Awesome. Wow. When I hit puberty, I want a voice like that. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, I don't have like the big voice of God voice, but, um, you know, it, it, it'll do in a pinch. Yeah. yeah. You know, if uh, if Darth Vader needed a more eloquent brother. He'd be... Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, a literary brother. Yes. Oh, that's a nice that's a nice twist. Uh, yeah, I like that. I'm smelling episode eight there. So we'll see. Well, anyway, we are we're here. As we said before, uh, we're in minute 100. They've finally dragged uh, uh, Ada Quonset to the front of the ship and they're going to put her in on the plan. They're going to put the big plan to get. Somehow they've got to use Ada to get that bomb away from Dio Guerrero. So Ada is slowly figuring out that she's not actually going to get arrested. She's not getting turned over to the authorities in Rome. And uh, dear old Vern, uh, the co-pilot, says that if if you help us, I promise that you'll you'll, you'll be taking trips to New York first class. You won't have to stow away anymore, that kind of stuff. And... And Ada's kind of warming up to that whole idea. Well, I love I love the little thing that uh, um, the co-pilot does. You know, uh, he just kind of makes that face and turns away. Barry Nelson. Oh yeah. <laughs> like today, they would take this, and as they should, so so seriously. But back then, oh, she's a cute little woman. She put one over on us. So what? <laughs> right now, Barry Nelson was wasn't he? Um, didn't he play Perry? Uh, 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 Perry White in um, in the first Christopher Reeve oh, Superman. No, no, that was Jackie yes. Cooper. I think that's where. Oh, I, I, he, God, don't they look alike? Does. I he, get Barry he, Nelson and Jackie Cooper mixed up all the time. Yeah, ba- Barry Nelson is probably best known uh, for being the fellow that runs the hotel, the Overlook Hotel in The Shining. He's the one that hires Jack Nicholson at the beginning of of The Shining. Uh, also probably known as uh, the world's first Jim, James Bond or Jimmy Bond. He was in the 1950, was it 55, Mark? I think around. I think so, 55 yeah, 50, or 54. Yeah, C- CBS, CBS did a version. Live TV. Of uh, Casino Royale with Peter Lorre as uh, Le Chiffre. Uh, were there any other big stars from that one? Or I think it was just Peter Lorre was their name. I think it was, yeah. I, God, I haven't seen it in ages and ages. And is there what? What do they call them? Like a video scope or yeah, or kinescope. There's there is a kinescope. There is a kinescope. Yeah, it and, did survive, unlike London After Midnight. It did survive. Yeah, it's on a couple of. Uh, I think if you get some some of the Bond movies actually have it as part of their special features. So buy all the Bond movies and then watch watch somewhere in there. There's a there's a version of this with Barry Nelson, and he does a really admirable job. I mean, it's he's an American agent in this, or, or if he's a British agent, they don't explain his American accent. And mm. uh, he's known as Jimmy Bond, and quite a thing to see 90 minutes of live television while they're working this very complicated spy story on right on screen. Wow. Uh, so, uh, but this is so this is kind of mid career for Barry. He's a, a an able player. I think he he does the best with what he can. With this is kind of a limited uh, script for him. 
Um, he's going to be advising Vern, Dean Martin, uh, on uh, how to deal with uh, life problems in the, in the near future. Uh, but uh, he does a good job being a very professional-looking pilot. I think he uh, he comes across as as somebody who's knowledgeable and knows what they're doing. Um, yeah, he he kind of he kind of suffers from game show hostitis to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, he's kind of like got that kind of very um, over average good looks kind of uh, face, kind of square jaw, kind of a little uptight, stentorian. Um, you know, delivery looks like a guy who play, you know, gets a lot of, um, authoritative parts and things like that, but he doesn't have the, he doesn't have the ease that Dean Martin has. I mean, Martin is just like, uh, you know, he, he's just, he's like, uh, he's like a dry martini. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's yeah. just so cool. Uh, on yeah, but camera. Martin's on top of the business. I mean, Barry Nelson, as great as he is, was I would B level. Would you say? Yeah, I would say yeah. probably yeah. so. I mean, a working know. actor. You know, he left behind yeah. a big body of work. Absolutely, yeah. no, no, no judgment there. It's just, you know, sometimes you, um, you know, you, you get to a certain level, and and the marketplace is just that tells you that's enough. That's yep. where you're going to be. Yeah, yep. and but, yeah, I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah, I do too. <laughs> but Dean's, but uh, Dean's got Dean's got that whole Las Vegas, Palm Springs, you know, Rat Pack uh, swagger to him. And Barry's the kind of guy yeah. that goes home to Van Nuys at night, and he's got his you know three three exactly. apartment, and he's doing okay. Um, exactly, and and you know the thing about the thing about Dean Martin, I mean, he didn't take himself very seriously, you know, and I think that he may have. Uh, for for better or for worse, kind of cultivated this um, slacker's attitude. But mm-hmm. boy, the guy was uh, underrated as a talent, I think, by by many people. I mean, I personally think that he had, and I don't want to be, you know, like getting any kind of threatening emails or anything. But you know, for my money, as a singer at that particular time, I thought he was a better singer than Sinatra. I could I could see that yeah I mean his, his very heartfelt songs and also you know knowing when to move in his career I mean he had he started out Martin and Lewis and then this is his solo career here at the time that he was making Airport he had a hit show on NBC he practically owned the early evening of uh, of the weekends he owned you know the Gold Diggers specials and uh, you know and he also was doing a Vegas act too so you know this is he had a little empire going here and the matter you know the fact that he had time to make an airport movie in the middle of all this is amazing yeah now i wasn't really quite aware of that but um you know i guess he was kind of ubiquitous on nbc there for for a good while and um i and i think that his voice didn't suffer from the the booze and the cigarettes quite mm. as much as as frank's did i mean if you listen to if you listen to frank Back in the 30s and 40s, I mean, he doesn't even sound like the same singer. I mean, he yeah, right. had this kind of absolutely beautiful tenor voice. And don't get me wrong, I love Frank. Yeah. Uh, you know, because he knew so much about music and just and vibe and feel. But, you know, he was, I, I think of Dean Martin as one of those guys who it just kind of came so naturally to him. And he didn't really even, he didn't overthink it. He just kind of, was a very instinctual kind of player and um 
and you know, and his his ease on the camera is is really apparent, just like it is in real Bravo. I mean, he's great in that as well, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. And you know, he he's he's doing this without relying on his singing voice. I mean, you would think that a singer would have a couple of musical numbers in, in any yeah, movie that he did. There would be no place for it in this. Uh... No, and there wasn't one in Rio Bravo. But uh, know, he was... Yeah, and he's also not relying on his kind of, you know, the the, the, the happy, dyspeptic um, roustabout either. You know, I mean, yes, he has, he's, he's having an affair with a beautiful woman and blah, blah, blah. But uh, And he looks yeah. great. I mean, Dean Martin looks great. How old? He, he was, great. what, 53, 54, 50, Jim? 53, yeah. And, I mean, he had just finished, you know, the Matt Helm movies. He had done the Wrecking yeah. Crew and all that. And, you know, he was just going from one success to another. Yeah, gigantic. Yeah. Um, and, he, and all those Westerns. I mean, I, I can't think of how many Westerns he was in. in the. I mean, he was in, like you were saying before, Rio Bravo. He was in Sons of Katie Elder. He was in... Um, yeah. Um, I can't think. Of, I can't think of some other ones, but I mean, there were a bunch out there that he he and he moved away from being just part of the Rat Pack. I mean, I think of things like Ocean's Eleven and and, and stuff like that, yeah. or even the Martin and Lewis ones where he had somebody else. He was doing this solo and holding his own. Just quite an accomplished performer in so many different uh, aspects of of entertainment. Yeah, and I think that really, I mean. I don't know that much about the the Martin Lewis um, duo. I mean, from the from behind the scenes, but I I would think that Jerry was probably the kind of the mastermind. He was a kind of the thinker of the of the two. Not to take anything away from from Martin, but it, again, it was that just that that ease of performance of of just falling off a log and being able to kind of just have that charisma and that uh that sense yeah. of ease was just it's you can't well, there's, there's can't a handful that. handful of of stars who have that they just exude charisma and and yeah. he was certainly one of them my As they said to my who's that sean connery he had yeah. it yeah. well you know what uh you know what they say in baseball you can't teach speed you know you're either fast or you're not mm. and uh uh, so those kinds of those kinds of skills, speed on the baseball diamond, charisma in, in the cinema, that's just, you know, it's God given or where, wherever it comes from. It's just mm -hmm. it's, it's there. It's preternatural. Yeah. And one of the other things about him is he knew how to pick winners. I mean, he knew this was going to be a blockbuster movie and he de he knew that he would be a major part of the movie's success. So in negotiating that way and winding up getting $7 million of this movie. Uh, that was you know, a clever move on his part and a clever move on the part of Universal to okay something like that between him and... Uh, and was Bert that from the back end or what? Yeah, up, yeah he, got, he, got a, he got a piece of the back end. He got $7 million and Burt Lancaster got $7 million. That's why they're both above the title. Which so, in, and that's an, in, an astronomical amount of yeah, money now. Yeah, that's like $100 million nowadays. So just... <laughs> <laughs> this whole this whole movie cost ten million and made one hundred million, so he got seven percent of the movie. It's just um, uh, astounding. That that's like director right. level of of cash. So yeah. and they, had a great agent, that's for sure. Yeah, and and he still went to work. You know, I mean, I, I would think that after you did this, you go, okay, I'm buying my little place in Palm Springs. I'll get a I'll get a mud hut somewhere in Tahiti, and just they can call me when uh, when the checks clear. So, but he went on. I mean, he was in all those, the can, the two cannonball run movies 10 years later 
and he just he liked to work and he liked to make money and fortunately although although he liked uh there's a famous quote by his wife who said nobody does nothing like dean <laughs> meaning he would like to just you know just not do anything maybe <laughs> just later years that was the case yeah, yeah. you know i just kind of wonder if uh th- just thinking about the disaster format which kind of didn't exist before this am i correct in that yeah i mean there were there were other movies like uh the high and the mighty and things like that but nothing of this uh stature the the kind of an all-star disaster movie was very unless you talk about things like a night to remember but that doesn't even come in the same category as this this is this is like a grand hotel uh set in a disaster so this is this is really the first of its kind yeah and obviously you know, success breeds multiple copycats, but it's just kind of interesting to me that, you know, from a sociological point of view, whether the disaster format came at a time in American history when, you know, there had been this, um, obviously there was a great deal of uh, social unrest and, and there was uh, all kinds of rumblings on, on that count. But, from a, kind of a, a an arc of socio-political economic um, success, the the country was just kind of awash in in money and kind of unrivaled power, and uh, and, and I just wonder if there's just this kind of need for people to have something to worry about. You know, they just love to see stuff go awry and just have uh, yeah, and, and, terrible consequences. And, and they also, I think they also wanted a throwback because you think about the movies that were coming out at the, at the time of this, the same, you know, 1969, we're talking about things like Urban Cowboy, uh, not Urban Cowboy, um, Midnight Cowboy. And we're also talking about things like Woodstock, Easy Rider, all of these modern movies are coming out. And this movie is not aimed at younger audiences. This is This movie is for people mm. who grew up in the 40s watching things like uh, you know the Warner Brothers crime movies, or um, even something like Bridges at Toko Re, or some you know, the old. War, this is kind of like an, a war movie. You're watching a war going on between the good guys up in the front of the cockpit and the and the bad guy in the back, and how are they going to get around it? So this kind of is a throwback to the earlier, you know, 1940s style film. I think it's a it's a comfort zone for people seeing this and having an old hand like you know familiar face like Dean Martin and, and <laughs> another familiar face like Helen Hayes or Van Heflin having these old time stars around you seeing this the familiarity of you know people like Burt Lancaster or Lloyd Nolan Lloyd Nolan had just come off the TV show Julia so you know I remember all, it well yeah all very familiar faces so this is kind of a comfort I think it's a comfort food of of movies as as you're watching and that might explain why it made 100 million dollars on the American market but it's interesting see- Lloyd Nolan was uh I, I remember him so well from Julia and then um He's like one of those guys that really, you know, did he look any different 30 years later or before? He, he <laughs> just kind of always looked the same. He looked but... that way as a teenager. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If, if you but... watch, uh, the, like, he was in the movie The Lady in the Lake, the first person movie with uh, George Montgomery. And if you watch that movie, it, it's just old Lloyd Nolan wearing a fedora. And he just he looks like he's 70 in that movie, even though he was about probably like 28 or 30. Yeah, and then in Hannah and Her Sisters, which was 1985 or 6 or something mm-hmm. like that, uh, he looks exactly the same. I mean, you know, just a little bit older, a little bit more wrinkled, but he looks the same. And he's terrific in that, too. 
Well, I'm I'm looking him up right now to find out when Lloyd Nolan was born because I really I would like to find out where he was born in 1902. So when he saying Hannah and her sisters in 1987, he was 85 years old and still acting. Wow, and, and he the, was good too. Yeah, and he was in this movie. He was 68 and or wow. yeah, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right, 68, 68, and still acting. Uh, just, and that's amazing, really. Uh, well, you know, it's funny when you look back when this uh, movie was made. All the big stars were still around and they were still working. You know, Charlton Heston, Kirk Douglas, Yul Brenner. I mean, all of them, you know, uh, it was really, really a very special time in film back then. But it was also uh, those guys, uh, TV and film were pretty well firewalled, you know, with the exception of when you know, we've talked about with Dino. I mean, those were guys who they didn't they weren't on TV. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean. Yeah, unless Those they were guys, on The Tonight Show, that was about it. And that was about it. They didn't do television. And that would that would that was still at the time when it was considered uh, like you, you know your career had totally jumped the shark if you were going to television to do something, unless it was a you know Johnny Carson or something. Yeah, but at the end they were all you know going back for their uh, I think they were going back for the SAG hospitalization money because in it, we oh, had yeah. Airport seventy seven you had people like. Jimmy Stewart was in it, and uh, Olivia de Havilland, and then in Airport 75, you had Sid Caesar, Myrna Loy, uh, Gloria uh, uh, oh God. Swanson? Swanson, Gloria Swanson. Yeah, all these people are going in and, and doing these these films. I mean, Gloria Swanson kind of became uh, her uh, Nor uh, Norma Desmond. She, she, I mean, she, she became her own character that she was going to go back, have her big comeback, and her comeback happened to be Airport 75. So, you know, a lot of them, it was a great place to get a paycheck and let people know you're still out there. Um, and they made them, they made those movies. I mean, they, they took a five year break here, but the Airport 75, Airport 77, and Airport 79 would gather all these old timers together and stick them on a plane. And was it, was it 77 that lovely Olivia was in? Yes, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, Mark, yeah. Mark is a friend of Olivia, and uh, she's still a classy lady at, at uh, Century Mark. At 100, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's uh, wow. amazing. So, uh, anyway, this is uh, well, uh, going on with the story here. Uh, well, <laughs> we've been talking about Dino, but there's a lot of things going on. They're filling, they fill in Ada on what she's supposed to be doing next, where they've got to ask her to, uh, uh, to get ready for, uh, you know, they actually – it's that that old classic thing that you see in plays and movies where now here's the plan and they cut away. So and Vern actually D Martin actually does this thing where he goes, "All right, now listen very carefully," and then uh, they overlap it with uh, radio chatter that's going on that's saying that the uh, the plane is moving on to uh, uh, into the Cleveland area so that they can uh, continue the descent toward uh, Lincoln Airport. So we don't we don't actually hear what the plot is, but we know from just a, a, a typical trope of movies is that somebody is about to give the plan. You never hear the plan, but you see it explained as it happens, which I guess is going to be happening all next week. So are, is the audience aware of exactly what the plan is at this particular juncture or no? No, no. He's, it, OK. I mean, Dean says, now here's the plan. And then they cut away. Right. And we're, we're down there on the ground with Mel Bakersfeld and the guy from Customs, who I have no idea why he's there other than he can be there. And the head of uh, the local Transglobal uh, office. So uh, uh, Mel's about to 
go put on his coat and go out and see what he can do about getting that airplane off the off the runway. Off the runway. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So we're about to see. I mean, the you know, this is they've cocked the hammer on the on the big plot pistol, and they're going to fire mm-hmm. it. They're going to fire it in the next couple of minutes. So this was. But Ada, you know, she always uh, she's always um, covering her bases because she has this one great little moment where. Um, I think uh, Jackie Bissett says, I hope I didn't hurt you. She says, oh, no, you did. Well, not much. Yeah. And <laughs> she's, she does that little double take where, you know, she's going, oh, this might be an angle. I need to I need yeah. to save this as a, as a uh, you yeah, know, as yeah. a strategy, maybe. She just likes keeping um, Yeah, She just tucks one more chip in her pocket. You know, just don't leave it all on the table. Just, oh, that's maybe right. Later I can tell her about how I can guilt her into doing something. I exactly. Do, I do love her. This is one of the best Ada lines of, of any of the lines that come up in this movie where she said, when you get older, there really isn't a lot left to be frightened of. And uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, I, I find the reverse is true. As you get older, you get scared of everything. Yeah. it's like what uh, the... Usually that is the truth. I think that she's actually kind of bucking the, mm-hmm. the conventional wisdom. Yeah. She's gotten very zen as, as the years have gone on, I guess. But uh, Well, so the life of a grifter, you know, you got to. Yes. You got to be tough. Yeah, I I still think that she never tells the truth in any of these things. It's just these are these are familiar lines that have worked with her for her in the past. So she'll see what's in it for her, and uh, now she knows that she could get free flight. So that's an opportunity to cooperate. Um, and yes, that's true. And once again, poor Gary Collins doesn't get a single line in this. Thing, so it's just... Well, yeah, but at least at least uh, there's not an elbow in front of his face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 we all know that the best was yet to come for Gary. Yeah, yeah. He, right. He had a he had a, a pretty he had a pretty nice career after well, this. Yeah, and married to Miss America. That's not too bad. So he's. Uh, uh, what well, well, was it? Be, not Best Myers. Ma- no, Marianne Mobley. Marianne Mobley. Marianne Mobley, yeah. of course. Yeah. So uh, and did, he was on Good Morning America. He also had his own show. He had his own. Uh, I think Gary Collins <laughs> had his own morning show on uh, Westinghouse Networks. But he uh, he didn't do too bad for himself. Had a lot of I think he had one of those supernatural kind of shows too, where he they, he was like the the Rod Serling of a of a supernatural show. Where the Leonard the, uh, Nimoy of the uh... yeah. <laughs> so not not too bad not too bad a career, and he got to play right behind Dean Martin for this entire movie. So that, yeah. that works. Out. And he will in the in the future. I don't want to give too much away, but he will actually have speaking parts and uh, and actually move the plot along. So that'll be exciting for him in about maybe 10 minutes from now. So give us a couple of weeks and we'll have more theater Gary Collins. Um, well, this has been quite a, a nice uh, setup for the rest of what's going to be the climax of the movie here, or one of the climaxes of the movie. In about six months, we're going to get to it. Yeah, <laughs> someday. <laughs> so everybody take your vitamins and we'll hopefully uh, live long enough to see the end of this movie. But uh, as as we're going into the triple digits, this is uh, definitely... Uh, where the action is doubled and and everybody seems to have new stakes to uh, to deal with, especially Ada here, who you know never said no to a free plane ticket. But that's it's been a a very good week. And and David, thank you so much for uh, for leading us through on this thing. It's always great to talk the craft and and seeing. Yeah, how... you have such a great perspective, and uh, I could listen to you read the phone book, honestly. If they still well, it's phone a books. pleasure to uh, to pass the century mark with you guys. Uh, <laughs> I hope that we all aren't a hundred by the time you finish this movie, but <laughs> well, well, there's there's plenty more to come, so hopefully we can we can have you on again sometime to uh, to chat some more about how 
how this plane is ever going to come in for a landing. Uh, it would be my pleasure. Well, that, that's great. And well, uh, for folks who would like to uh, read more about uh, David's life and career, please join us on airportminute.com where we have some links. And you can also follow us on social media where uh, we're available all the time, Twitter, uh, Airport Minute. You can find us on Facebook, Airport Minute, or the Airport Minute Commanders Club where people get together and chat and argue about all things airport. Uh, you can also get this particular, you must be getting this somehow. If you're not already subscribed on iTunes, go to iTunes, subscribe, just look for Airport Minute and hit the subscribe button. You'll get us every day, Monday through Friday, starting next Monday. <laughs> this show is transmitted directly to tinfoil hats. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, it's very exciting. So, uh, but but please join us here in any way that you can, in any social media you can. But we will be finally finding out how are they going to get that bomb away from Dio Guerrero, or are they? Or well, are they? Tune in for a Helen Hayes slapping episode next week here on the Airport Minute. Until then, good day. Bye bye. Nice going, sweetheart. Remind me to send a thank you note to Mr. Boeing. Mm-hmm.